Dunkin's new wake-up go-tos mean you never have to choose between breakfast meats again. Now you can get a wake-up wrap with bacon and a wake-up wrap with sausage for $3. That's savory and sweet, crispy and spicy. It's everything you love about breakfast for $3. Wake up your day with new wake-up go-tos. Get two egg and cheese wraps for $2 or mix and match your favorite meats with two bacon, ham, sausage, or turkey sausage wraps for $3. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360-degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello and welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. My name is Steve Majoderant, and on today's episode, it is an interview special. Jake and I speak with chairman of the board and co-owner of FC Helsinger, Jordan Gardner. Listeners, if you haven't done so, hit that subscribe button, leave us a five-star review, and follow us at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod. Now, let's get started. Joining us on the show is majority owner of Danish second division club, FC Helsinger. It's Jordan Gardner. Jordan, thanks for joining us. How's it going? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Now, Jordan, let's get straight to the point and what interests us the most. You bought the Danish club in March of 2019. Talk us through your decision. Yeah, I mean, we have been looking for quite some time for uh, the right club in Europe to uh, to bring over some young Americans to get the, you know, the landing spot uh, in Europe. Identify Denmark as the right spot for a variety of reasons, including uh, culturally, everyone speaks English. You know, the level of play is you know the highest in Scandinavia. There's already Americans over there uh, having success. So we, you know, we kind of took a while to look for the right club, and then identified FC Helsinger, and you know, it took some time to go through the process, um, for the acquisition, and then ultimately decided, and, and you know, that was the right spot, and, and finalized the deal in, in March, like you said, Jordan. How important was it that the country spoke English or culturally was easy to integrate into? It's very important. I mean, I think it's really um, difficult. You know, at the end of the day, these these players, especially young players, they're people, and for them to live and, and work in these countries that culturally they don't speak the language or um, or whatnot, it, it's very very challenging. So I think you know we wanted a spot where uh, the players felt, com- felt comfortable that they could develop, especially at a young age, and you know, the language uh, barrier we felt was something that was really important that we could, um, you know, in Denmark, we could, you know, was, was something we didn't have to worry about. Jordan, you've spoken about this vision of integrating U.S. players into the academy at FC Helsinger and then graduating them into the first team. What I'm curious to know is, did that cause any friction with fans or members of the club in Denmark that may have felt that the Danish player is being slighted? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. There's certainly some pushback a little bit, but we certainly haven't brought over very many players yet, um, and we don't anticipate bringing over that many players. I think the Danish player is still really important to us, both in our academy and in our first team. So I think it's certainly being delicate and um, smart about the messaging and, and how we're approaching it. 
Um, but, you know, it's not something that we can't overcome. We're not super worried about it. Now, Jordan, what type of player are you looking to bring over or even to bring into your club, whether that be American or Danish or whatever other nationality that may be? Yeah, I mean, in, in general, we're looking for young players, kind of 18 to 22, um, you know, developmental players that we can kind of mold and eventually move on to bigger clubs. I mean, it's certainly a mix for us. It's not going to be wholly, uh, uh, you know, a young squad. We have signed some signed some players who are a little bit older, more experienced. Um, but for the most part, it's looking for young players who have that potential, uh, a lot of whom have come through youth national team setups, um, maybe aren't getting the opportunities at other clubs, whether it's in North America or, or whatnot. So that's that's what we're really looking for. Does having players in Denmark like Jonathan Amon and Emmanuel Sabi help the club attract players over to that part of the world? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons we picked Denmark is because you had two guys like you just described who are having success in Denmark already. Um, so absolutely, that that's, that's a huge factor that we can kind of point to and say, look, there's Americans here in the country already having a lot of success. And um, absolutely. Jordan, I'm curious to know, is it a difficult idea to sell to a young American to take the risk to leave what he's known to go overseas and to play soccer in a different culture and a different society and a different way of, of what the sport means to the greater culture. No, I, I think it depends on the kid. I mean, most kids we talk to are, are hungry to get to Europe. Um, I mean, certainly there's some kids that want to stay in North America and that's totally fine to them. But I think for us, the kids we talk to, they just want to get to Europe and certainly they're looking for environments that are right for them for their development. And that's why they often are interested in what we're doing. Um, but honestly, I, I, from what I've seen, it doesn't really matter in Europe where it is. They just want to get there and, and play at the highest level. Jordan, I want to run a quote by you uh, from Forbes from a couple months ago. You said something like 55% of players in the MLS now are foreign. They're buying a lot of players from South America, and that's great for the league. The pathway for young American players to get first team minutes is becoming more and more limited. What problems do you see in U.S. soccer when it comes to doing business with young Americans? Yeah, I mean, look, I stand by that comment. I think there are some clubs in North America in, in Major League Soccer that are doing a good job playing young players and developing them, but overwhelmingly they're not. And I think it's becoming difficult for for young players to get that pathway. I mean, some of the young players are playing in the USL right now, which, you know, I, don't, I think for, from a development perspective isn't, isn't quite there yet. So I think, you know, the challenge from a you know for young players is they need first team minutes, and that's something we can offer them that not all clubs can certainly um, in North America right now. Now, Jordan, from the Danish perspective, is there an extra emphasis to play young kids? Yeah, I mean, in Denmark, there's a culture uh, in general of playing young players. You have lots of teams there, FC Nordsjælland, where Jonathan Amon's at, um, all across Danish football that are playing young players. It's kind of not. It, you know, it's it's not surprising when you see 17, 18, 19-year-olds playing in, uh, playing first-team minutes in Denmark. So that was also very attractive to us where we could do that as well. It wouldn't be an outlier. We wouldn't uh, run into too many problems taking that approach. What about the focus of a Danish team focusing on Danish players? Here, obviously, MLS would like to focus on American players, but as you said, they are bringing in quite a, a mixture of young players spread throughout Latin and South America. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, most teams, even though you know the foreign player restrictions, depending on which division you're in in Denmark, are relatively laxed. Um, most 
teams have a majority of Danish players. We we have a majority of Danish players. So certainly it was important to have domestic players who know um, what it takes to be successful, in, in, you know, in that country. So that, that's obviously important. I mean, we're still signing and developing young domestic players as well. That's important, but I think it's, it's also key to have the right mix between, you know, experience and young players, foreign and domestic players. It's finding the right balance. You, you bought FC Helsinger essentially to help cultivate young American talent. In your opinion, is the American player one of the most undervalued players in the global transfer market? That's a good question. I think one of, yeah. I mean, I think there are other other areas where their players are definitely undervalued as well. Um, I mean, we've brought in players from Canada, from New Zealand. Um, I think there's parts of Africa where players are very undervalued. I think in the U.S., you know, I think the players are coming over certainly when they come to Europe and oftentimes, depending on the age, they're not always, um, you know, complete players, for instance, they're not there technically or uh, tactically they're not there. So I think compared to other places in the world, oftentimes the American players sometimes still needs a little bit of work, but potential is, is always there. So I think it just depends on the, on the individual player. But let me ask you this. As somebody who also owns clubs in England and Ireland, is there a stigma about American players uh, talent-wise? You know, obviously soccer isn't, you know, the number one sport here in America. Can that stigma also drive their price down or, or drive the perception down of an American player? Mm, I think that's changing a little bit. I think with Christian Pulisic, I think you've seen Americans have success in Europe. I think it's changing. Um, you know, I think it, it depends on the country and, and depends on who you're talking to. But in general, I don't see as much of a stigma as you probably saw, let's say, 10 or 15 years ago, I think. People are open to the American player in Europe, but you know that player needs to be have the quality and you know be successful. And so I think it really just depends on who the player is and and what their quality is like. As someone who owns multiple clubs across multiple nations, is there a notable difference in the development of youth? Yeah, I mean certainly each country has its own kind of uh, you know different way of approaching youth development. I think in general there's huge differences between North America and Europe, for instance, just in the, the kind of culture. You know, you kind of you go to different spots in Europe, even you know countries that aren't kind of in, as immersed in football, say you know the United Kingdom or Spain or France. But you can go to places like Denmark and even Ireland, and um, you know people are watching the game, people are playing the game, kids are kids are being immersed in the culture. And obviously that's not the case here in North America. Um, it's kind of like, you know, kids, you know, 24 seven are immersed in the game in Europe and that's you know different here. So I think that's a massive difference that I've seen. And, but in general, um, when you look across Europe, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's relatively similar the way they approach player development. And it's just something that's been done for many, many years. So is there a notable difference than what is being done here in America? Obviously there's been a lot of criticism of the way the U.S. Soccer Federation or how it's been set up to do youth? Yeah, I mean, I'm not super familiar from a U.S. perspective exactly what's going on inside MLS academies, for instance. Um, so, you know, I think probably the quality of coaching is, is probably, that's probably a main difference. Um, you know, the, the certainly the level of competition, the amount of travel. Um, but I, you know, I wouldn't know intimately the differences just because I'm not involved with clubs here in Major League Soccer at that level. When it comes to the pressure from fans in Europe, do, do you feel extra motivated to succeed because of the possibility of promotion relegation? Yeah, I mean, that certainly is 
motivation from a lot of perspectives, including a financial perspective. I mean, um, you know, getting relegated is very challenging. Getting promoted is very enticing. So it just puts more, extra, you know, significantly extra pressure on you. On the ownership side, on the management side, certainly from a player perspective, it puts a lot more uh, pressure on each and every game. I mean, we we were part of games uh, in the spring where you know, you're looking at lower divisions, uh, you know, four, fifth, sixth place teams playing 12 place teams and the, the amount of pressure that's involved because some teams are looking to go up and some teams are looking to go down. I think, you know, that's a kind of a pressure that doesn't exist in places like the U.S. without without promotion relegation, but that's just the way it's been done. And it, it's, it's very unique. And until you're kind of in the midst of a, of a relegation or chasing a promotion, you really, it's really hard to replicate what that's like. Do you ever think that promotion relegation will come to America? will come to MLS or uh, to USL in some way, shape or form? Uh, no, uh, I think maybe the USL will decide to do it between, uh, you know, division two and division three, but I think the MLS owners have invested too much money to open up the risk factor in terms of getting relegated and what that means from a financial perspective. That's just, that's just my opinion. Jordan, we appreciate it. I just wanted to give you the floor if you wanted to add anything else. No, no, that's it. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, you know, it's always exciting to talk about this stuff and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a long-term project for us. We've signed three Americans so far. It's going to probably take us three, four, five years to really kind of bring over the type of player we're looking to, to bring over. And, um, yeah, just uh, appreciate um, appreciate you guys taking interest in the project and having me on. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jordan. The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. Let's say you make it to the top. What's next? Relish in the glory of your accomplishments? Okay, sure, for a minute. But then you move forward. Take the 2021 Escalade. Cadillac's newest arrival is more than just a celebration of iconic luxury. It's the most technologically advanced Escalade ever. Because arriving is just the beginning. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.